No, you know, when I came out to L.A., it was 1981. And uh, as soon as I got my feet wet in the business, I realized that just uh, playing music as a bass player, uh, I wanted to know more about the music scene as a whole versus just me being a musician. So uh, I learned from the best uh, writers, arrangers, producers, uh, engineers. So learning all the facets of music when uh, from idea to final creation. Welcome to episode 115 of the Bay Shed podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. All right, what's up, folks? What's up, folks? Welcome to the Bay Shed podcast. I feel like there's a ton of stuff. I feel like there's a ton of stuff going on, but I'm not exactly I'm not exactly sure where to start here. <laughs> uh, Jerry Jamont. Let's start with Jerry Jamont. Let's start with Mr. Jerry Jamont. Jerry and I are compiling a transcription book of his bass lines. He came to the studio a few weeks ago and brought a thumb drive with his favorite bass lines that he's played on, uh, covering a variety of the legendary artists he's worked with. I started to transcribe them. The book should be out very, very soon. It's a super cool project to be involved with, and I'm really excited to be doing this with Jerry. Stop by thebasshedacademy.org. There will be information about the tunes and bass lines that are a part of the book, along with pre-order discounts. You can also check out the masterclass he did at Lemur Music back in September. Uh, in its entirety, there's no edits on it. It is recorded from beginning to end as as presented in real life. Again, all of that is available at thebayshedacademy.org. All right, all right, what else, what else? Here's what else, here's what else. Nam, Nam show time, Nam show time again, right? I'm interested, I'm interested to, to, to see what's up this year. Last year, last year kind of sucked. <laughs> as far as like a base presence at Nam. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what the Nam Show is talking about in 2024. I don't exactly know what days I'm going to be there yet. There's another conference happening in Southern California. Uh, I might also attend that. Uh, I am a member of the Southern California Band and Orchestra Association, and they're having their conference the same weekend. I feel like the band and orchestra folk are probably not Nam folk. So they are uh, having their conference the same weekend. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Ryan, the Southern California Band and Orchestra Association sounds like an absolute rager. <laughs> Why don't you just party with them all weekend, right? <laughs> I know everything about that implies that it's uh, basically going to be Woodstock 2024. Uh, I mean, come on. Come on. School Band and Orchestra Association. Oof. It is a party, party. Um. <laughs> anyways, I mean, I'm still a part of it, so I can't really talk uh, poorly about it. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows what will happen? I would like to attend, but that is one pack weekend. I will have to see uh, how the dust settles, where I end up going to. But I will definitely be at Nam, and I will say this. I will say this about Nam. My folks at Trickfish. I have a brilliant NAM strategy, which is they put their gear, they put their amps in other booths. So you can check out Trickfish stuff uh, on anybody's base. It's 
pretty killing. So it's not just like, you know, then the trickfish booth and they have a couple bases and you hear their amps with a set number of bases, makes, models, pickup configurations, whatever. Like they put their amps in other booths. I think that's brilliant. So if you're at NAM and you see trickfish in in one of the booths, uh, stop by, play on it, check it out, check it out. I'm a big fan of their products. And, uh, you know, definitely definitely a special thanks to Trickfish for sponsoring and being involved with being involved with the the Jerry Jamont Masterclasses. Jerry Jamont is a Trickfish artist. Big fan of Trickfish stuff. So, again, if you're at NAMM and you see, the, you see the Trickfish in a booth, stop by, play on it. Most importantly, if you're going to NAMM, wear comfortable shoes and bring earplugs. That's, uh... That's the name of the game for the NAMM show, no matter what year you go. Lemur Music, everything you need for the double bass. Lemur Music is running a special right now. For every $100 spent, you'll receive a coupon for $10 off. You can also use the promo code THEBASESHED, all one word, to save 10% on your order of any amount. Uh, I was teaching a lemur last week. They have some new leatherwood rosin in stock and colorful end pin tips that are really cool so stop by lemurmusic.com and check it out lemur music is also sponsoring a masterclass by dr matt Hare, the principal bassist of the mozart classical orchestra and the long beach ballet dr Hare's masterclass will be performed on the world famous car kuskavinsky kusavinsky kusav oh oh why 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 so complicated with the last names here you guys know who I'm talking about. If you don't know Kusevinsky, Kusevinsky, Itsky, Kusevitsky, Kus, Kusevitsky. <laughs> Classical guys, you know what I'm talking about. The world famous car Kuskevitsky, Kusevitsky, Kusevitsky, Kusevitsky. I'll try to sound it out here. I don't know if that's working. Kusevitsky. There it is. Kusevitsky. The world famous car Kusevitsky bass. For more information about the masterclass and the car Kusavitsky base, stop by the BaseShedAcademy.org backslash news to go all the way back. Dr. Matt Hare will be performing on this base on the car Kusavitsky. Kusavitsky. I feel like I've also heard it Kuskavitsky. Kuskavitsky. Like I, f- I feel like I've heard that, but when it's when it's written, that doesn't quite make sense. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, a foreign language thing. Kus- Kusevitsky. Kusevitsky. Kuskavitsky. Kus... Kus... <laughs> now I'm vibing myself out. I can't even get it right. Anyways. Anyways, stop by thebaseshedacademy.org backslash news. And uh, in other news, I will try to learn how to read. No guarantees on that one, though. All right, on the episode is John Pena. John Pena is originally from Puerto Rico, then spent some time in New York, and is currently in Southern California. Pena stays incredibly active as a session and touring bassist, along with being an arranger, writer, producer, and engineer. Uh, This cat has a very diverse skill set and has worked with an equally diverse list of musicians, including Larry Carlton, Joe Sample, Diana Ross, Christopher Cross, Barry Manilow, Dionne Warwick, Nina Simone, Celia Cruz, 
Ricky Martin, Michael Brecker, Chick Corea, Carlos Santana, Kenny G, Steve Vai, Shaka Khan, and so, so many others. Like, honestly, honestly, I can't think of any other musician that I've even heard of <laughs> that has worked with both Ricky Martin and Michael Brecker. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's insane. Uh, I first heard John live in this small club uh, in L.A. called Mambos, which, which doesn't exist anymore. He was there playing with David Garfield, and I was really, really blown away and captivated by his playing. It's, yeah, I was, I was hooked, and, and since I've been doing the podcast, I've, it's been, you know, always in the back of my brain to, to get in touch with John and see if he was available to come on and do an episode, and thankfully, the schedule's worked out. Yeah, and it's been, it was great. It was an honor to have him on the podcast. John has been working on a three-album collection titled Life, Legacy, and Music. Uh, that's, that's kind of one, one, that's quite an undertaking, right? Just boom, I'm doing three records, you know, just like this really sizable project that's three records deep. Uh, our conversation starts with, uh, us talking about this project of his and, uh, and here it is, here it is. Here's my talk with Mr. John Pena. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Nice. Staying, staying occupied as always. What's uh, what's with what? What do you got today? What are you working on today? Well, I'm actually finishing parts two and three of the uh, Life Legacy and Music project oh. that I've been working on. So, <clears throat> yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, when that's quite an, an endeavor that you uh, undertook, doing a three record uh set i guess three record project yeah basically it's it's really just a continuation of the music that i'm trying to put together in one i was going to do one very long double okay album but but these days the attention span is not uh all that great with most folks so i'd rather just break it up and simplify it a little bit Okay. But, uh, yeah, but it it's basically it encompasses my life's work, you know, heritage, faith, all of the the above different styles of music that I like playing and arranging and stuff that other friends of mine uh, wrote and arranged and that I that we worked on together playing whatever. It's just uh, fun stuff. And, That's great. Uh, yeah. So this uh, first one is out now, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's I call it the uh, appetizer. The the next, the part two is going to be more like the main course. There's going to be a lot more, more uh, meat to dig into okay. musically, musically and vocally too. There, there, they all have yeah. vocal tunes, and there's uh, uh, several instrumental tunes as well. So it's a combination of everything. Yeah. How long? How long before you started the recording process did you kind of uh, storyboard the the whole project? About like, a year and a half, a year and a half ago. Okay, okay, about a year so and a half ago. Yeah, it's been in the works for a minute. Then, how much of the material did you have written at the time? Uh, a lot of it was written. Uh, I would say seventy percent of it was already. Okay. Uh, some of it was recorded. 
25, 30 years ago, and we just uh, revived a lot of the stuff and changed oh, cool. the arrangement, changed the, you know, instrumentation. I like to redo my basses and stuff. Yeah. And then some of them was as, as, uh, as recent as the last few months, you know? Okay. So yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a, like I said, it's a variation. I was trying to find a variation of the music that I enjoy playing and, uh, stuff that kind of not just features the bass, but features the music and the arrangements, you know? Right. Right. Vocalists and stuff, just trying to get it to be more musical, you know? Who are who are some uh, as a composer producer either coming into this record or other ones you've done who have been an influence on you? Who who are some maybe people throughout history where you can kind of like yeah they've they shaped my concept a little bit um, as far as putting I've, records together not just not just bass players. Yeah, uh, I would, there's too many to mention, but of course uh, influences. You know, I, I would say as I'll just say bass players, one of them was Stanley Clark. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as musicians, artists, um, Steely Dan, mm -hmm. you know, because the way they record their records, they're impeccably uh, great sounding stuff. I mean, a lot of those old records still stand up today in, in, you know, the mixes. A lot of engineers, when they do sound check, they use Steely Dan stuff to, to kind of, you know, get their speakers, you know, in, in, Dialed in, uh, lined up, yeah, yeah, dialed in. Yeah, I was just at the uh, potato last night talking about uh, Steely Dan and engineering. About uh, I forgot what track it was, and maybe even the record. I can't. I just remember talking about this that the engineer on the Steely Dan record won a Grammy for like where he placed the snare or how he yeah. mic'd the snare on one specific thing. And yeah. obviously, Steely Dan is notorious for being incredibly meticulous in the studio. Very. Yeah, uh, very much so. Did you did you kind of bring in a lot of that meticulousness? Is that is that kind uh, of how you work also? Well, more meticulous as far as uh, sound and uh, placement. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, back then they recorded most of the stuff on on tape, uh, so right. there was two inch reels, and they spliced uh, <laughs> spliced away yeah, yeah. All, all that tape. So to to get everything to get it the way they wanted it. Um, these days, it's all digital. Uh, I didn't have to do that much because the drummers pretty much do their thing, and I just get the placement sound-wise where I want it. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. So uh, did you have a co-producer on this with you, or was it all just kind of you at the helm? Yeah, it's pretty much me at the helm. It's nice. It's, it's, it's my, my baby, so to speak. Cool. You know? So cool. yeah, part like I said, part one's out. Part two mm -hmm. and three is we're working on. Uh, are just about getting ready to finish a few overdubs in part two, and then get it to mastering. And hopefully, I'll get it out later this year. Nice. And then yeah, part three will be out next year. And we're still working on some of the tunes, and I'm still getting musicians to come and and do some overdubs and stuff. Because you know, as you well know, uh, to get guys on on schedule yeah. and uh yeah. you know and, and you know some musicians are there are some in italy some guys are in france some guys are in mexico new york you know different places so uh, the beautiful thing is having the technology to make it happen so uh it's it's been fun it's been great yeah now have you have you dealt with that like having people cut in different parts of the world and still kept a very uh 
I just still kept a feeling as if it wasn't. Yeah, you know, uh, that's always the downfall with that type of recording process. Yeah, yeah most, of the, most of the most, yeah, of yeah, most, most of the time I'm present. Okay, uh, whether it's through Zoom like we're doing right now, sure, uh, and uh, we use um, uh, what's the program Audio Movers. Mm-hmm. So that so that I can hear exactly what what they're doing. For example, with uh, Greg Bissonette, he's got a setup in L.A. because I'm two hours away from L.A. Okay. And so we were able to be in the studio at the same time, even though I'm here. home. yeah. And uh, I got to hear exactly what he was hearing. And then I could say, you know, Greg, let's try this in the B section and let's do this in the bridge. And, you know, let's change this accent and let's fix this, you know. So, you know, I'm producing as, as we're going. Okay. And that's kind of been how, how, how it's been done, you know, when, when I'm doing uh, overdubs with cats that are, uh, we're doing it remotely. Yeah. Uh, some of the, some of the tracks were all, we recorded with the, with the whole rhythm section together as well. So, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. So like uh, the uh, Mr. Bottomy, we had recorded that uh, together uh, at Doug Bossy's studio. Uh so uh, we had most of the rhythm section pretty much there, and then we just added the overdubs. You know? Nice. Um, so this, the first part, part one of Life Legacy and Music, like Life Legacy and Music, uh, it's seven tracks. How did you go about selecting which seven would make the cut for part one? What tunes are going to be on part two? Which ones ended up on part three? That's a good question. I started out with about thirty to thirty-five tunes. Okay. To kind of start honing in on the versatility, variety, vocals versus horns versus rock guitars versus, you know, just trying to mix it up so that it had a little bit of for everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, So basically that's kind of how I I, I worked it and honed in on it. Also still thinking, you know, about the bass. I mean, have to feature some of it, some, mm-hmm. you know, the bass, cause that's, it's uh, basically about the bass, you know, it's, it's what I've done in my lifetime. But the fun part really is uh, being able to play all the different types of basses on the record. So, you know, back, back when I was growing up, most artists or bass players, they were known for the one sound. Right, right. And which was a great thing. I, you know, I, I can tell, when Stanley Clark's playing versus yeah. Marcus Miller versus, you know, all these great bass players, uh, you can, you know, it's them. But for me, because I was a more of a studio guy than an artist, uh, it was about finding the instrument that worked best with the song sure. uh, at that time and the style of music. So I have quite of a big arsenal of, of basses from four to through six string, four, five, six fretlesses, you know, uh uprights and uh, acoustic fretlesses and stuff so and so i'm just i just try and find the the, the right instrument for that tune mm-hmm. and so that's been the fun part and then making sure that the sonically it's it's a uh, sounding right you know <laughs> right right what's uh was there one bass you used more of on the record that was kind of like if you look at all three volumes all three parts of the record is there one bass that's that makes an appearance more than others not really really no. that's diverse. Yeah, pretty diverse yeah uh you know i i used uh two uh fender basses one was a uh, precision the other one was a uh, jazz bass but they 
both been modified. Okay. Uh, one, the, the jazz bass was modified by Sadowski. The precision was modified by Seymour Duncan. Uh, Kevin Beller was my, my tech guy there at Seymour Duncan. And then uh, from that point on, I used, uh, you know, the T-Bass. It's a five-string that was made for me in England. Mm. Then there's the Warwick five-string fretless. Then there's the Moon Bass. It's a six-string fretless. Then I have several uh, exotic bases that also been modified by uh, Seymour Duncan, electronics and pickups, and uh, Mira bases as mm. well that have been uh, modified by Seymour Duncan. What? Um, so I got I got to ask about this because I was just going down the rabbit hole of uh, modding a PJ I have, and so I was looking at all kinds of pickups. What do you specifically like about the Seymour Duncan? pickups and which ones which seymour duncans do you use you mentioned well, to, to, go ahead yeah to yeah to be honest uh uh the uh most of them are 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 uh, single coil mm -hmm. you know uh i use i like to use the jazz to jazz setup but some of them have double coil setups you know okay. so that but i always have like to have a switch to switch to double coil the single coil because it, it gives me a whole different um dynamic uh sure. but uh to be honest uh i i'm more specific about frequencies mm -hmm. and sweepable um uh what you mids? call it uh, mids yeah it was just and like so, selecting a frequency with a sweep option yes exactly yeah. yeah and so um kevin there at seymour pretty much he knows he knows my ears and what i like and i have spent time there at the factory so we we've like with the with the Fender Precision Bass, I mean, we we went sat there and went through sounds and stuff, and then okay. the kind of winding that he he'll, he'll give me options of the kind of winding and stuff. And uh, to be honest, I can't tell you exactly which models I pickups and <laughs> okay. electronics because each one is so different, and sure. I, I would have to look at the. Yeah, gra graphics of each one. Yeah, but I just love the sound that he's got. You know that he's gotten me because, uh, for example, the 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 P bass which they modified. Um, I've been playing that since the '90s. I did a lot of Brandon Fields records. Okay, back then and commercials, lots of commercials, and mm -hmm. everybody, the producers, please bring the P bass. Really, you know, they just love the way you just plug it in and the the sound was there. So for rock stuff. For funk, for jazz, it didn't matter, you know. Do you, so, how would you classify uh, this P bass that's so uh, acknowledged? Is do you think it's more of a modern sound, or does it have more of a vintage sound? Uh, I would say more of a modern sound. Okay, but it's not active, or it is active. It is active. Okay, okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's of, the modern all, sound. <laughs> yeah, all of them are active. As a matter of fact, but. I do have a, a bypass to make them, you know, to go back to sort of the vintage yeah, sound yeah, yeah. as well. So I can I can alter them. Yeah, um, I mean it's it, it's a weird thing I'm having, and maybe you can speak to this because of your frequencies and your uh, attention to frequencies specifically. I sometimes I have with my P bass like it's not cutting the way I want to. I wanted yeah. to in a mix. What frequency would you diagnose that as to get like a really good cut out of a P bass that's still fat and supportive and all the things that we know and love from P basses? Can you would you be able to define what frequency that is? 
Well, with the, it, are you talk, you're talking about active, right? And active. Yeah, uh, like just up? well, just on a frequency scope. Like if I had to boost something or cut something else, whether it was on an external preamp or on board, what uh, what would those frequencies yeah, be? The the P bass naturally is is pretty thumpy, and if you're using yeah. traditional P bass pickups, you're going to get a lot of thumpiness. So you you if if you want to get to be more modern sounding then you're going to work uh, frequencies between, I would say, between 4 and 6K. Oh. Somewhere around there that it might uh, uh, get you the highs without being too high, brittle or whatever right. the call is, you know. Yeah, like what's um, the tone knob at? The tone knob is what, 5K? The tone is... Uh, uh, On like a passive P, you know, just a Fender tone knob. I don't think it even goes up to 5K, to be honest. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's below, uh, below 1K. Oh, man. On the tone up. If it's maybe, massive. Yeah, if like maybe massive. around 800 or something, like a high mids. Between five and 800, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been geeking out on this hard, like checking out like the different types of magnets and, you know, yes. Alico twos, threes, fives, well, ceramics. And the way they they want they wind the pickups too is I know makes a big difference. But I what I do to be honest with my P base, I did a J to J setup. That's how I oh. got it modified. So I'm okay. not using P uh, P base uh, pickups. I'm using J to J pickups. Mm. But you know, I had them uh, the way Kevin wound them were slightly different. Are they and, a little overwound uh, for like a really punchy sound? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and you, you'll hear that on the record, especially yeah. in in part two. Okay. You'll hear that that bass is uh, I used it on several tunes in part two. Nice. And uh, for the slap thing, is really crisp and punchy yeah, yeah, yeah. in your face, and you know, yeah, I have the, a uh, I have a bass here that Howard Ulyate custom built to pick up for. He does pickups for F bases and stuff, and oh yeah, kind of didn't know. What I wanted, I just gave him a concept of sound. He's like, man, do you want it overwound? I'm like, what does that do? Sure, let's try it. And now I understand the overwound sound, you know, because I have it on this fret list. Yeah. Damn, is it punchy? Yeah. Like sometimes they, I have to be like, all right, settle down. Like, that's too much. Yeah, the mirror basses that I play also are that way, the the, the, the way they are wound. So they almost tend to sound like a... a, a, a double uh coil okay yeah especially when you're playing a finger style but it's not double coil it's still a single coil it's just uh you know more over one as you say right uh there's yeah and so it it it, and the thick and the pickup is thicker it's wider so Mm -hmm. it's wider this way as well as the winding right Um, so taller for people that can't maybe see what you just did it taller from like the portion of the body that would be up against your personal body towards the outside of the strings. Like it's the depth of the pickup yeah. when, as it sits in the bass. Yeah. The depth yeah. and also how it goes uh, from the top of the, where the strings are going into the cavity of, yeah. the, of the bass is, is a little wider there too. Oh, so you can get some extra so winding have, in there. Wow. Yes. Those are running hot. Yes. Those are running yeah. hot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and you can do a lot, especially if you have, uh, sweepable uh, mids, and uh, you can control your your highs and and uh, lows. 
Right. Uh, it's 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 a huge variety of of tones. Yeah. And then I I did a I did a brass nut on the uh, P bass mm. because I wanted a little bit a little bit of more bite and a metallic sound, especially for the rock stuff. Even okay. going going more metal rock sound. Yeah. With pick, with pick and using a metal pick to go with that. And you know, once you combine that with the distortion, it gives you you know it gets raunchy. Did you, uh, like, I always associate the badass bridge with that kind of sound, too, that really edgy, Mm -hmm. uh, metallic-y sound. Did you you switch out the bridge uh, to kind of give it switched switched out, and it's very similar to the badass. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Back to the record, what, what was the catalyst for, at this point in your career, doing this project now, like specifically right now in your career? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is I'm getting older, dude. So. <laughs> Join the club, man. Join the club. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and the sad thing is, uh, even on my record, uh, a couple of the guys have passed away that are on the record. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, also honoring them. Yeah. Uh, as because they're phenomenal musicians a couple of the guys that are on the record are just amazing musicians uh one was uh, mark biaco who's from france he's a singer mm-hmm. and he he was doing take six stuff before take six really okay. like exploded uh, with all the vocal stuff but he was one guy and he okay. did it in the studio so he oh, wow uh, he's done a few tra- he we did a few tracks that uh, a couple of tracks uh actually three tracks that he did all the vocal stuff and one of the tunes uh michael brecker's soloing on oh wow and oh my god it's ridiculous and it's one of michael's tunes that that uh that we cut and um but he's doing previously recorded like what mike he he recorded it for his record back in the 90s okay but it, it was very um there wasn't a whole lot more instrumentation involved except the vocals and the sax okay Right. So now we're incorporating drums, bass, you know, putting all of the uh, stuff around it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, I loved yeah. all those Brecker records from the 90s. Man. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Stuff. And yeah. he was one of my heroes. So, you know, so homage yeah. to Michael and then also uh, Ramon Senor, who's the amazing guitar player in L.A., who was in demand all the time. He played every style of music had every uh, uh, exotic type of guitar that he could play. So everybody was was hiring him from pop music to jazz to you name it. And uh, he was, he, we did a few records with uh, Alex Acuna and the Unknowns. Okay. And uh, you, you can hear him there on that record, especially because he solos a lot of those records. But he, he was just an amazing guy. He incredibly talented great guitar player and, and had all these different tones and sounds. And so, yeah, we, we lost him uh, recently. Uh, so, you know, it's that one of the reasons why I'm doing this is uh, besides getting older is uh, trying to have all my buddies yeah, on yeah. the record, you know, because uh, there's so many uh, people that I have relationship with musically uh, around the globe. And it's, uh, it's been fun getting them all uh, to be a part of it. You know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you're originally from New York and yeah. then came up in Puerto Rico. When did you move to the States? Well, I was born and raised in New York City. 
I mean, yeah, but back to the States after Puerto Rico. I went to Puerto Rico uh, during my junior high and high school years. Okay. And that's, I I learned Spanish there. And then I came back, uh, I would say uh, mid 70s, uh, 75, 76. I I came back to the States. Uh, I was in New York for a minute, then I went to Florida. And I was in Florida for about three years. And I worked a top 40 gig there and I was just saving my money because I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a studio musician. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what all I wanted to do. So I was listening to all the studio players, all the guys that were doing a lot of the records back then. And uh, save my money was doing a lot of uh, six to eight hour practice uh, daily at home when I wasn't doing the night gigs, you know, the top yeah, yeah. 40 gigs. And I was always making great money, so I saved. I saved up, and I decided it was either New York or LA. Since I'd never been to LA, and I had uh, gotten spoiled with the weather in Puerto Rico, yeah, uh, I wanted to go to the semi-tropical, even though it's not as tropical, but right, still right. having having the three D vibe because Florida is pretty flat, you know, mm. um, uh, California. And I've never been, but I have friends here in California that had kind of come the year before. So I got to crash at their pad for about a week. I, I had enough money to get an apartment quickly. So it only took me about a week to find a place. And okay. it started, went and joined the union at the, the local 47. Sure. Started doing casuals and, you know, working here and there, word of mouth. Started meeting guys. One of the guys that that, that we were doing casuals together was Frank Gambali, who was uh, playing with Chick Corea. Sure. You know, and, uh, and we became great friends. These, was this around know. the time of the electric band? Uh, way before. Okay. Just, yeah, before. We were doing just casuals. None, none of us were known. None of us uh, had worked with anybody yet. Right, right. And But we enjoyed working with each other, and we kept saying to each other, man, you're going to go places, dude. Yeah, yeah, you're, gonna, you're going places. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of years later, you know, he's he's touring uh, with the electric. I was touring with Tony Maria and, uh, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Sample and the Crusaders. And, and it's on and on. And everybody just got busy, busy uh, working with all these different artists and, yeah. doing studio, and doing studio work. So, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, how obviously the studio musician thing has taken a drastic decline in the yeah. last, uh, with technology being so available and easy to use, um, how have you how have you navigated that professionally? Have well, you spent more time on uh, the road to kind of, you know, balance out not being in the studio as much? No, you know, when I came out to LA, it was 1981, and uh, as soon as I got my feet wet in the business, I realized that just. Uh, playing music as a bass player, uh, I wanted to know more about the music scene as a whole mm-hmm. versus just me being a musician. So uh, I learned from the best uh, writers, arrangers, producers, uh, engineers. So learning all the facets of music yeah. when uh, from idea to final creation uh, was what I, I decided to get into. So I learned all the different facets. So it wasn't just playing music in the studio or touring with artists, but it was also writing and producing, putting songs out on TV and film, you know, uh, just all the different engineering, you know, I was mixing records and uh, doing all kinds of different things, producing young artists, 
so I, I got involved in all of the, pretty much most of the facets of the music industry. And so, and learning all those, yeah. you know, into wearing different hats, of course. And so it was fun for me. I, I enjoyed, I, I'm geeky in that way too, where technology was always my friend. Uh, okay. Before I became a professional musician, I was into computers Okay. And uh, and I wanted to fly jet planes, so that, that was my, <laughs> yeah, that was it. Uh, and then music, you know, stepped into my life. Thanks. Uh, well, my dad taught me music since I was six, okay. but I didn't know I was gonna. I didn't know I was gonna be a professional musician until I was probably uh, in my mid teens, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then you know, music took over, and it's it's been a blessing. I guess that's the way I can put it together, you know. You uh you mentioned Stanley early being a big influence. Who were some other influences when you were young? Around this time, say 17, 18, 16, 17, 18, maybe some records you were listening to or some Yeah, yeah. Something. Of course. What, which what are some records that really you caught there the bug? There's so so many. Um uh, uh I would say there is um uh, Ron Carter and Tony Williams were guys that I actually saw in person with Herbie Hancock and uh, you know, Wayne Shorter in New York, that just blew my mind, you know, yeah. blew my mind listening to those guys interact together and play and the contra rhythms between Ron and, 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 uh, uh, and Tony, you know, sure. There, so the, that, that was one group of guys. And, uh, of course, Jaco Pistorius, you know, you, he, he changed the, uh, uh, the vocabulary he, of he changed bass. the whole landscape of what it means yeah, to play the he bass changed, yeah. yeah he changed the whole vocabulary on bass and um you know brought in the melodic and uh so yeah th those guys were just uh and then of course there were all the uh latin players like cachao from cuba mm -hmm. who was playing just you know uh he played everything you know from from song to uh, you know afro-cuban through Timba, you know, you, you name it, he played everything. And uh, he's classic, classically trained, you know, musicians. So, and, and the list goes on. There are so many sure. guys. And then, of course, when I came to L.A., I met so many amazing uh, bassists. And so we all kind of rubbed off each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to take a little bit of that. And yet we all kind of, like, learned off each other's stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah but there was uh, no necessarily pivotal records or recordings during this time i think that's kind of where i was initially curious about is if there was like or you heard a record and it's just like yeah i want to do that or i want to get more into that or what's going on there like some records that really caught your attention early on yeah well to be honest in new york uh, i used to listen to radio a lot and back then there was no such thing as R&B radio, rock radio, yeah, classical right. radio. You know, we listened, I listened to one station and heard all the different styles. Okay. And that's, that's what got to me from, you know, from listening to a classical uh, orchestration piece to Mahavishnu orchestra right. uh, to, you know, it was so diverse. And then you hear the Rolling Stones and you hear, you know, Aerosmith or whatever. It, it's, it, it was exciting. And I loved the fact that it was just music. It wasn't yeah. this or that. Uh, as far as records that, that really hit me hard was uh, Heavy Weather, of course, from what oh, yeah. Sure. Was one of those when I heard it's like, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. Then it must have been kind of surreal the first time you're playing with Alex Acuna. Absolutely. After he was, being a heavy weather fan. Yeah. Totally. He was one of my heroes. 
And a friend of mine, actually, from uh, Puerto Rico, invited me to go to the Baked Potato to meet him uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm, I am from Puerto Rican descent. Yeah. And so we knew a lot, a lot of the same people there in the island, musicians. So he introduced me to him at the break at the Baked Potato, and we talked, and we had a great time chatting. And, and then he just said, hey, man, you want to do this audition on Monday? And I said, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And so he gave me the dress. I go over there and I'm in, you know, I get to the place and uh, it was actually his, his house in, in his garage. And then okay. I go and So where are the other guys, Alex, where, where is everybody? He says, yeah. Oh no, man, it's just us. It's just, <laughs> I said, cool. All right. So we plug in and we played, I don't know, maybe about 60 minutes, an hour, a little over an hour, okay. both sweating, sweating in the garage and stuff. Yeah. And, and he says, hold on a second. And he picks up the phone and, calls and he says hey i got the bass player and he hangs up he says you got the gig i said what gig is that <laughs> he says tony maria, <laughs> maria. <laughs> and so he gave me the music and he gave me a booklet about this thick yeah. of music and he says uh we got a couple of months before we hit the road and he says you got this and i said cool sweet so and we had a blast too it was great band yeah great band. who else was in it at the time well, at that time, it was Alex on drums, Luis Conte on percussion, Ooh. Tanya and myself. It was always okay. a quartet. She she expanded later. But then uh, Alex, of course, got busy in the studio and the movies. Luis got busy in the studio and the movies and also touring with other artists. And so then Joey Heredia was one of the charmers that uh, played with us, as well as Walfredo Reyes Jr., and then, uh, and Ron Powell was what was the, the percussionist at, uh, after Luis, uh, you know, uh, was got busy. Yeah. Ron Powell and we and that band, uh, Joey, Ron Powell, and myself, we we did at least uh, almost a couple of years touring with Tanya. Oh, wow! And that was fun, that was a great, great band. Yeah. And that's when I that's when I met uh, Michael Brecker and all those other cats, Eddie okay. Gomez, another great freaking bass player, you know, from New York. New Rican cat, yeah, who's killing it with steps ahead and right, right, you know, right. No, yeah, I mean, so for me as a kid, yeah, you know, twenty something years old, seeing those guys backstage, <laughs> it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Not only like his work with Bill Evans, but like steps ahead, like the I yeah. got him on some Steve Gad Gang records where he sounds yeah. great. I mean, he always sounds great, but always yeah. steps ahead was one of my favorite bands that I think yes. never really got the some attention that uh, I yeah, feel like it should have. I, I think, I think radio started getting too segregated and uh, the arts of music started to get lost mm-hmm. in there. And so the, you know, I, I love pop music. I love all music, you know, yeah. I always, there's good, good music, good music. And so it, it, for me, you know, obviously it's a, it's a personal uh, taste for each sure. person, but you know, good enough. So good. That's pre- pretty much it. And, uh, their stuff was just exceptional, you know, yeah. the, the music, the arrangements, uh, the way they interacted with soloing and, and you know, movements. It's, it, it was just so musical, yeah. you know, so Yeah, musical. and it was still listener-friendly. It wasn't improvised music that was going to lose anybody, like really yeah, strong they, melodies, they, yeah, not so complex. Groups. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had And they groups. had a bunch of, uh, they went through, like, I have a record with Daryl Jones on bass. I have a record yeah. with Mark Johnson on bass. Eddie Gomez yeah. was on bass. It was, it was always nice to listen to as a bass player because there was so yeah. many different dudes yeah, and through they that are, band. They all sounded great. You know, yeah. they all did incredible. Yeah. yeah. 
When's um? So you said later this year, part two will be out. Part That's two, when- yeah. Hopefully, uh, uh, I'm gonna say uh, late December, maybe. Okay. Around there. Okay. Yeah. That's a interesting time to uh, difficult. It, it seems like maybe to get a record done. And now, like when you got the holidays, I don't know if you travel for the holidays or not, but that's, you know, I I always feel like starting around October until like the beginning of February is just kind of a wash. Yeah. Well, I'm getting projects done. Yeah. Remember that I I had started this a year and a half ago. So I have all the material. Okay. Most of, uh, if not everything has been recorded except for the overdubs right now. That's pretty much what's left. Part two, all the music is done. Okay. And everything is already pre-mixed. So okay. we're really close to finalization. The only thing I'm adding now are vocals. You know, I'm doing uh, adding um, harmony vocals and things to different tunes. And uh, not just myself, but, you know, other other singers that are, mm-hmm. are, are going to be involved that are doing uh, just uh, adding some harmonies here and there to make it, give it some more interest, more depth. Yeah. But, uh, other than that, it's like two or three tunes. Uh, that part two will be done before I go on tour with Olita Adams uh, next month. Okay. So before I go on tour, that's going to be all done. So nice. I'm not even worried about that. Yeah, because all I have to do is get it to mastering. And, you know, I, I got my buddy, my buddy uh, Peter Dole at uh, 21st uh, Century uh, uh, Mastering. And so he worked at Capitol Records for ages, and we've known each other for so long. So he's got it. He's got it down. You know, he knows mm-hmm. what I want, and so I just send him the stuff, and it'll be ready by then. What did you send uh, the people that are on the record, the other musicians? What did you send them? Did you send them a reference track, like kind of a mock-up? Did you send them a chart? What did? Yes, uh... some of them had mock-ups. Uh, uh, almost everybody had charts. Okay. Um, yeah, there were some mock-ups, and uh, so they didn't hear, like, the whole thing, but basically the the basic stuff. Yeah, the structure overall. The yeah, structure and stuff. But some of the stuff I had to I had to be there because it, it required uh, – there was some more intricate stuff with the arranging and what I wanted specifically. Uh, I could write things down, but I'm, I also go for feel, so I'd rather – get some more expression out of them and their interpretation yeah. versus me saying, no, I want you to do this and do this. Uh, but still, I, I, it has to capture what I'm, uh, and, you know, the emotion that I'm trying to get out of the tune. Sure. Uh, sure. You know, and the idea. So uh, I think that yeah. brings up a, an interesting point when it comes to writing. Um, how much room do you purposely leave for the instrumentalist to have like because you can dictate a whole part for him and you could write out here play that and then you just send it to a professional who can execute the part yeah how much of it do you kind of look for their personal musicianship to to influence your idea yeah luckily for me because i know all the guys that are doing solos and stuff i pretty much know what they what they uh how they express themselves. So I, some guys I need to leave like a lot of room so they can build and do what they do with their solos. Yeah. And some, and some, and some cats are okay with 16 bars, you know, 32 bars. Right. Right. So 
So it uh, it just all depends on on uh, who who I'm asking to do the solo stuff, you know. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff that I did personally is just short, short little things that are part of the arrangement. But there, you know, there is at least uh, a song or two in each uh, part of the life, legacy, and music that there is a bass solo. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. Everything, everybody else gets to partake you know and a lot of the guys again they're my friends so i know what 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 they do so i I leave space for them to develop you know right so there was kind of a personalization within like if you know you're going to have you know studio guy a on this record right and then this track well then you can you can write the thing yes with him in mind yes yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. that's super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yes, as of a course. composer too, like it kind of helps put some boundaries on it that you can work within. Yes. Uh, yeah. In, in an interesting way. Yeah. Otherwise, you're kind of shooting in the dark if you yeah. don't know who you're working with and what they're capable of doing, etc. You know. So yeah. We'll be back right after this. All right, folks, get heard on the Bay Shed podcast. I am opening up the middle of the show to talk about what you all are up to. Stop by thebayshed.com, click on Get Featured, and let me know what news you'd like me to share. Uh, If it's upcoming gigs, if it's your website, if it's your social media handles, if it is your YouTube page, whatever it is, stop by thebayshed.com, click on Get Featured, and... Exactly that. Get featured on the Bay Shed podcast. All right, I will also take this time right now to talk about the transcription book with Jerry Jamont. Go by thebayshedacademy.org. There will be information there and pre-order specials on the transcription book of Jerry Jamont. You can also check out his masterclass. His masterclass that he did at Lemur Music. It's a, it's a three-part. There's three videos there. I chopped it up into a couple different videos. Uh, but it is the masterclass in its entirety. And if you would like a signed copy of Jerry Jamont's autobiography, all that information is there. Click on what you need to click on for what you want to engage with. It's all there, thebayshedacademy.org. Excellent, sir. How did you get into, uh, you mentioned studying different facets facets of music. How did you get into writing and composing, uh, arranging for TV and commercials and things? Because that seems, living in LA, I know that that's a, that's a tough little world to get into. Everybody who's in that world is pretty possessive about their gig yeah. and, and who they let into the circle. Because uh, yeah. they don't want to lose the account. You know, they don't want, they don't right. want somebody else being, being on the scene. Yeah, well, I I did not work uh, as far part of the jingle companies, the companies that jingles. I did work for ten to twelve different jingle companies. Okay, so I was a hired gun doing those commercials and stuff. So I kind of knew what that was like, and uh, yeah. I didn't like I didn't like the politics of of uh, of jingles. You know the way they worked and competed for a spot, but I was okay with playing on those spots. But uh, I, most of those guys that were arranging were friends. So I kind of mm-hmm. learned what they were doing and how they were accommodating the the 15 second, the 30 second, the 60 second spots, you know. Yeah. So you learn those those little things. Um, but I was more interested in, in uh, doing uh, background music for, uh, you know, a two minute shot in a movie okay. or, uh, or in a 
um, television show, whatever. Just you an know. instrumental underscore. And so you would put some underscoring, exactly. Okay. And so, uh, you know, little by little, I started learning uh, orchestration and things like that. I don't consider myself like an amazing orchestrator, but I do know what I want to hear. So, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'll get somebody, for example, on my, on part two, I did this Spanish flamenco jazz uh, a song that a friend of mine from uh, Italy wrote. Oh, nice. And uh, he's actually originally from Mexico, but he's been in Italy most of his life now uh, as a professional musician. And uh, I, I had another friend of mine who worked, uh, who works con- uh, currently with Gino Vanelli and, and uh, you know, other artists like that, uh, orchestrate because he's a serious orchestrator. The okay. Guy, you know, he got his master's and, you know, he worked uh, with Mark Isham doing movies and, you know, did orchestration and stuff. So I had him orchestrate for this song, do all string orchestration. I said, you know, I don't want horns. I don't want uh, timpanis or any of that stuff. I just want <laughs> full on, full on string orchestration for this piece. Okay. And uh, we went down the whole arrangement and stuff and he did it. It's, it's remarkable. How big of a how big of a group did he orchestrate for? Like forty piece orchestra? Like, is it a really dense? Stream? Dense, yeah, yes, yeah. Great. And then he had standouts, you know, yeah, okay. uh, violin standout, uh, viola, cello, and so uh, it, it's he did a phenomenal job. And then on top of it, he's a beast of a keyboard player. So I had him do some solo stuff. Uh, oh, as cool! Well. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice, yeah. All right. What um what so you mentioned from part one to part two, part two is a little bit has a little bit more to dig into. Uh yeah. how would you what are some characteristics that make part two a little bit more meaty? Uh the arrangements. The arrangements, the things the like you just described with the Yes. Uh, yes. It's yeah, more okay. involved. There's more depth. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, the part one is more of a an appetizer mm-hmm. and uh you know, great vibes and, you know, a, ver- a little bit of variety of everything. Uh, part two, it goes a little deeper, especially the instrumental music. Okay. Uh, as well as the rock stuff. The I have a, a rock tune that's more metal-esque okay. type of uh, rock with vocals and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty intense. And then it goes to uh, total vocal groove with just bass and vocals and some percussion and then it goes into a whole salsa uh type of uh song with vocals but like killer killer arrangement i got these guys from uh uh uh, san diego and mexico that just do some ridiculous horn arrangements you know okay and so it's uh very very intense you know very yeah. involved and uh and then and there's a, another rock instrumental that's more fusion like and uh i got some crazy dudes playing on that um, <laughs> not, i don't want to mention i don't want to mention names yet because uh okay. i want it to be a surprise but uh cool. you guys will you'll, you'll know who who uh who they are so okay okay i mean yeah. you, you mentioned gabali already earlier i'm i'm, I'm kind of curious if he makes an appearance yeah uh, well, I, you I know could, don't well, say anything don't don't give anything no, away but i'm just I was curious just gonna say that in part one i i had uh, guthrie govan and scott henderson okay. and tim miller and doug bossy already make an appearance on 
part one. So, and they killed it, of course. Man, I was just talking about Henderson the other day. Um, A drummer who I'm sure is a mutual friend, if you know Andy Sinisi at all. I don't know him personally. I know who he is. But uh, he he used to do uh, a trio with Henderson and Rufus Philpott. I was talking to Andy the other day. I'm like, dude, what happened to Henderson? Like, you just don't hear him around. He used to be at the Potato, like, every once in a while, you know. Yeah. Similar to, like, what Landau does. Like, every once in a while, he'll just have a night at the Potato. Yeah. I haven't I haven't heard much from him. How's he How's he doing? Is he uh, right uh, now, okay health? Everything all right? Uh, he always uh, sounds amazing. Yeah, I haven't talked to him uh, recently because when he did his solo, that was about uh, a year and a half ago that he did okay. that. And uh, he was fine. Uh, you know, we're all getting older, so you yeah. know. Uh, I honestly don't know what he's up these days. I'm sure he uh, he gets out there and he's probably doing recordings at his place like everybody else. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't tell you uh, exactly. Uh, okay. Today, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. As a, but, <laughs> there's, no, know, there's no moment by moment update on yeah, Scott Henderson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, you know, I I loved his playing. Um, Oh, yeah. With Tribal Tech for ages, you know, yeah. just lo- love that band. And as a matter of fact, David Goldblatt, who's, who's the guy that did the orchestration uh, for me and also played uh, keyboards, he was also with Tribal Tech. He did one of the records. Those early records before it turned into a trio? Uh, before it turned into a trio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, yeah. then, it was, then there was a couple trio records and then it, well, Vital yeah. Tech Tones was the band that came out of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember listening to all those, man. It was it was so over my head at the time, but I loved it. And I didn't know why oh. I loved it. I just loved it and I had no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it's like Alan Holsworth, who, you know, who also is, uh, who's left us. Yeah. Uh, just amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. Had and, you, uh, did you ever work with Holdsworth? I never worked with Holsworth. Holsworth. I knew the guys that played with them, uh, mm-hmm. especially uh, Chad Wackerman. Sure. Because, uh, you know, Chad is also in part one. Okay. Uh, he played. He played in part one, uh, and we were actually for Los Lobotomies. You know, we we <laughs> we uh, we were inviting uh, Alan Holsworth. This is just before he passed away. Mm. <clears throat> we were trying to get him on the record, but he was already having health issues. Yeah, and so we uh, we 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 weren't able to to get him because mm. uh, he had you know passed away, and uh, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was really sad, but. Uh, you know, we, we found another cat from, uh, Boston, uh, I think he came out of Berkeley and, uh, his name is Tim Miller and he's, he's, he's got that whole vocabulary. Really? Uh, well, yeah. Just okay. that's Holdsworth had such a unique thing. That's uh totally unique. Well, and you know that after so many years, he inspired a whole boatload of other yeah. guitar players. So they're quite a few cats that have that vocabulary out okay. there. And, and this guy is one of them. His name is Tim Miller. He's, he's a beast. Awesome. Great player. Awesome. You'll hear, you'll hear him on the solo there. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and that you, one's, what, what tune able, is that again? So Mr. we can, Bo- Mr. Bottomy. Okay. Yeah. That is Mr. track Bottomy. six on part one. Yeah. For all the listeners out there. Yeah. And, and his is the solo number three. Okay. Because first it's Guthrie, then it's Scott Henderson, and then it's Tim Miller, and then the last one is Doug Bossy, who's uh, who's the guitar player for Los Lobotomies. Yeah, nice, cool. How this is such an undergoing big project that encapsulates your whole career. Uh, what what could possibly be after this? 
Like, is this this just seems like such a heavy project that it's very much a this is my life, this is my career vibe. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. Is this is this kind of maybe subconsciously uh, the final record you'll do? Do you think you'll do another no. project after this? Yeah, I, I, you know, what I'll do after this is probably uh, do singles. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, we had. 30 to 35 tunes to pick from. That's so much material. I'm doing yeah. I'm doing 21 as a whole. So it's okay. seven songs per part. Yeah, okay. Okay. And so there'll be plenty of You still got uh, a bunch of stuff left on the editor's floor. Yeah. At, and I'll just do singles from that point on. Okay. According to my schedule because you know, I I still I still tour not as much as I want uh not not as much as uh, I have to let's say yeah because yeah. uh you know uh, traveling is not as fun as it used to be but there, <laughs> but there are certain people that I really enjoy traveling with and uh, Olita Adams is one of those people that I really enjoy working because they're just the greatest greatest pit folks you know how long and, have, uh, uh, how long have you been with her since 2008 or 2009 oh, wow. okay there yeah, and we become very close. We're more like a family, so it's it's a lot of fun. That's and great. then, of course, you know, when we get a chance to do lobotomy stuff, we'll do that. And uh, and I still I'm going to New York with David Garfield, and we're gonna play at the Bitter End or something like that. One of those yeah. jazz clubs there in New York City in October, and uh, we'll have two guys from New York, drummer and guitar player from New York. Oh, cool! Uh, Who's uh, do you know who those guys are yet? Uh, or is that just something Hammond's David Taylor? No, no, it's no, it's uh I think uh it's the name is Dave Pinozo. Okay. Uh and uh the other name will come to me. That's but we'll be uh we'll be putting it up on our um Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. And we'll be announcing it. So cool, man. I when we were when we were talking before doing this, uh that's who I had heard you with. I heard you with Garfield at Mambo's. Oh yeah, years ago when Mambo's, Mambo's yeah, wow. exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Wow, uh, yeah, I liked that club. I love I that, that place. I love the owners. I knew the owners really well. But we were all like family, and they, they yeah. treated they treated us so so nice there. They fed us. They took care of us. They were all musicians too. And there know. was like I had almost did a couple gigs there. Uh, I think with Mahesh. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but I never got a chance to play there. But everyone who did play there said the same thing, that uh, the owners were very welcoming and supportive yeah, and loved the, the arts. Yeah. Uh, you were with Garfield. I think it was Oscar Seton. And I don't know who was on guitar, if there was guitar. Maybe Tony Pelosi. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. No, Tony, no. He, he wouldn't have he done wasn't it? A, uh, okay. Yeah, not, not for the not for Mambo's. Uh, no, there was James Hara that played with us guitar, if there was guitar. And uh, there was also a, a Cuban cat uh, that played the tres, uh, and I'm forgetting his name right now because I'm brain farting. But, <laughs> but, but he's, he was a phenomenal player from Cuba. He's played with us there. and uh, But it's mainly been like trio, quartet, you know, sax player. Okay, yeah, I can't, drums, bass, I can't remember keys. if there were a, was a fourth person i feel like there was but i can't really recall but you and oscar definitely left an impression uh it was wonderful yeah. listening to both of you play yeah i love oscar he's he's great great player how, how long have you uh worked with garfield we've known each other since the 80s okay so uh back in the 80s 
uh, he was doing a lot of baked potato gigs and yeah. with different groups. So they had um, uh, Charisma, the band Charisma. There was Los Lobotomies. Um, and there were other entities, groups of people. But those two were really like uh, doing, you know, those two bands were playing a lot. Uh, they played a lot in town uh, in the jazz clubs. Uh, but at the Baked Potato, when I moved into uh, L.A. in 81, uh, around 82, 83 is when I believe I met Dave. And uh, I was introduced by one of the guys that uh, that he had recorded with. I don't know if it was Luis Conte or mm -hmm. one of, you know. Anyway, he called me out of the blue because I was recommended and, and uh, we did a gig. And, uh, you know, because he heard that I, I played different styles of music and he was doing that, you know, in, in the catalog of music that he had. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, we did and we hit it off. And uh, then we started doing recordings together and uh, tours and, whatnot, you know, and, and, and it just kept going. Then Los Lobotomies uh, turned into a... Because Los Lobotomies was basically a lot of the studio guys in L.A., right? Mm -hmm. It was a, a pool of cats. So I wasn't the only bass player. You know, Willie was one of the cats. And, okay. Uh, yeah, Nathan East and uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson. And, you know, there was a, this whole pool of I, I never knew Will Lee to be out here. No, but he would come, you know. Oh, really? Okay, out, so yeah, he was still yeah. living in New York. Oh, always. Oh, yeah, always. okay. That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah. I've never, ever known Will Lee to live yeah. out here. That no, would have been a surprise. He's come to LA. We've we've sure. hung out in LA, and he's come to the gigs and stuff. And when he's in town, we'll, he'll sit in and play. You know. Killer. But he's also played with the band and recorded Los Lobotomies. Okay. Know? So if you listen to the original first Los Lobotomy CD, it's Willie. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Um, and he's always been a part of that, and we're all good friends. Yeah, uh, but then what happened uh, down the road is uh, Steve Lukather got a, a record deal in Europe, and he wanted to do a tour, but uh, uh, we deciding whether he wanted to do Steve Lukather or Steve Lukather and Los Lobotomies, yeah. and so uh, and because we already had been playing for so long in L.A., Los Lobotomy became a, a like a cult following thing okay where everywhere we played was always sold out you know yeah it was, and uh you know uh carlos vega was playing mm. and uh, uh greg bissonette and uh uh jeff picaro okay you know it's just like a who's who session guys yes, going through. yeah yes they, they all played uh, and then uh, in the 90s, it, 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 uh, because Luke was touring and Simon Phillips was already traveling with uh, Toto, mm -hmm. uh, he, he brought in uh, Simon. And we decided to do a quartet, Los Lobotomies, to okay. make it easy as far as, uh, you know, four of us touring yeah. and, you know, the travel and the hotels and blah, 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 blah. And so we simplified it because normally there's percussion and there's horns and there, you know, stuff that we when we did it when we played in town. Yeah, yeah. And so we toured. Uh, we toured Europe with that. Okay. With that entity and uh, did really well. It was it was a killer band. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, um. We we uh, opened for Aerosmith for Peter Gabriel. <laughs> nice. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. Nice. It was, yeah. it was great. 
and played all the huge festivals and stuff. And, you know, That's it, was killer. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, this project, Life Legacy and uh, Music, what would be some key or uh, important characteristics you think of your career that have helped sustain you in these generations in these decades, I guess is a better way of saying it. These decades where technology has changed the game so quick. What are some parts of your career, uh, some skill sets you have is, uh, that have sustained you? Well, um, one of the things, and this might sound trivial, but uh, was learning uh, the different tones and sounds of the instrument mm. of my bass. Cause when I, you know, in the 80s, we did a lot of live recording. Yeah, yeah. We were in the studio constantly. That whole decade was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, because we, we were constantly in the studio doing records and commercials, etc. But, you know, I would watch the keyboard plays. And back then, you know, that was when everybody had all those stacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, got like, right. you know, they came in with the stack. And you'd hear all the different sounds. And yeah, producers say, no, let's try this. Let's try that. I'm like, hmm. Wait, if he can do that, I can do that too. Mm. You know, I can bring different bases and tones and different variations and have something for that song that yeah. I think cuts cuts better through that tune. So that gave me longevity. You know, okay. a, a lot of producers wanted to have me go in because they knew that I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have just one sound. Right. So, and they knew that I would find the right sound that would work with that track, right? Sure. And so they would give me some leeway to try a couple of different instruments. And in and, and, and so learning the tones and understanding what, what uh, instrument worked best with the track uh, was one of the things that helped me to, gave me a longevity in that, in that uh, business, you know. Within that, um, idea of having a versatile palette of tones how does effects come into that do you play with effects do you use effects in the studio do you always put yeah, that on when post yeah when called for yeah some mm -hmm. some of it's it's during in the studio but i always always record a separate track so i always okay. had a track with the clean bass and then i had the track with the with the amplifier or with the pedals you know yeah do you just do a line splitter so it's the line same split yeah yeah, yeah use different, you know, a couple of different DIs. And uh, so that way there, there was always full control of, sure. of each each sound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when it was called for it, yeah, I, I, I'd use them. I still do. So. What are some, what are some go-to effects that might always be part of the arsenal? Like, you know, I know a lot of guys swear by the boss OC2, you know, and that's always going to be a part of their rig. Right, right. When when using effects, are there some are there some staples you always kind of check in with? Well, d depending when you on know what, you need a specific sound. Yeah, well, most of the time, if recording direct, the bass itself comes with everything because the pre's that they're built with is, sonically, they're it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So don't need much. But uh, when it comes to like rock stuff, I. I, and these days, for me, it's more of the plugins. Mm. So I, I love the uh, SVT uh, Ampeg plugins, you know, okay. with the different variation of speakers, you know, that you can yeah. use. And then I love, you know, I have a physical Sans Amp okay. uh, pedal, pedal and to, to give it a little bit more raunchiness or a distortion yeah. if I wanted. 
Okay. Um, so I use those and then I have my pedal board, which, you know, has de- delay and reverb for a certain parts of the song where you want solos, you know, and the octaver, of course, you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, if you're doing an arrangement where you want the section to sound fat, you know, so it just, I just use them, uh, when they're called for, you know, when selecting an effect, let's say it's an octaver or let's say it's a delay, like you mentioned, what yeah. are some, some things you're listening for? Let's say it's a, it's a boss delay versus like an MXR delay. And I'm yeah. not necessarily getting you to try to plug a product here. I'm just, when you're a being two different delay pedals, what are you listening for? Uh, I'm trying to, to listen for something that doesn't color the bass too much. Okay. Cause remember when, as soon as you plug into a pedal, uh, some of them gives the in your instrument a different color mm-hmm. on tone. Yeah. And so if it changes it too drastically, I don't, I don't want that in there. So I'm trying to get a true bypass pedal. Okay. So what, what the name or the brand really doesn't matter to me as far as, uh, because delay is a delay, right? You, yeah. you know, you, you got two milliseconds, you get 10 milliseconds, whatever you're going to, that's what you get. It's a delay. But if it colors my instrument to the point where it's not recognizable, it's not my sound, then, uh, you know, I, I, I put it off. Okay. So the, the delays that I use are more true bypass uh, is okay. the same thing. Same thing with the octavers and you know, uh, compression. If I, if I decide to use a compressor, everything has to be two bypass. So there's a, does color the instrument. But other than that, you know, there's so many great pedals out there that yeah, I know, and it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I find it, I find it as so many things. Anytime that there's the marketplace is so saturated, it's hard to sift through. You know, right. if you right. say like, well, okay, I want to get a compressor for like my pedal board or something, where do I even start? Right. Uh, you know, it's just so overwhelming, and it's so it's always interesting to me to talk to cats like what are you listening for? And so maybe that can help inform uh, others who are on the, the pursuit to, to add some right. effects or to, okay, I'm going to listen to the true bypass yeah. thing to make sure it's not coloring my sound. Another thing too, is the way you, you chain your effects too. Mm-hmm. the, you know, the order that you decide to put them in uh, could change things for you as well. So you want to make sure that as you use, uh, if you're using various effects, that one is complementing the other and not, right. you know, kind of interfering when you turn the last pedal in line versus the one that you have first. And then you have all these other assortment of pedals right? that it doesn't fight, you know, your sound, you know, yeah, or, or, or uh, color it, you know, color it too much where if you're playing clean, that it's, it's not, you're not sounding like when you plug in directly into a DI, you know? Uh, yeah. After spending so much time in the studio, how, how do you get a studio, like what's your process or signal chain to get a studio quality bass signal when you're on the road or playing a live gig? Well, back in, back in the eighties and nineties, when I was going to the studios, I always bought my, my Neve. I had a 1073, uh, and, uh, 1272s. And I always had those with me. Engineers oh, wow. love me, love me for that because they yeah. just plug in the XLR and grab the signal from there. I never really used the EQ; I just used it as a 
going through the like a uh, saturator saturator yeah. uh, fattener right. so to speak uh, and i also had the manly um very tube mm-hmm. uh you know a compressor so that's what i used physically back then these days i can plug in directly to any um ua audio or pro tools uh setup and because of the plugins uh, that they have now that are, you know, unison, you can <laughs> use, you know, any of those same. Uh, right. Any of those same tools. Preamps yeah. and, you know, compressors and stuff. And I, I just use them to go through the signal of them. You know, the nice. manlies. I love the manlies because they, your bass just gets really thick, you know, yeah. without having to use the compression, you're just going through those tubes, you know, how Whether do you, how do you uh, duplicate those sounds live? Um, do you even try to, or you just realize that that studio, this is live and I'm not going to no, get that same kind of. No, because remember, remember that when I'm recording, if I'm recording direct, the, uh, two compressor, the manly does that. Mm-hmm. But then if I have an amplifier, I use mainly trick fish amplifications or, or Aguilar. Okay. And I can emulate that with those amps. Yeah. Trick fish you know, is my trick favorite. Trick fish is so warm and punchy. Yeah. And love trick fish. Can't I can say do, enough great things. Yeah, I can do yeah. rock and roll. I can do funk. I can do jazz. You know, you name it. I mean, it's great. And their speakers are ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the, so, the selling point to me with them, this is not a trick fish ad, although I have run those on this podcast. Uh, is it my upright sounds great on it and my electric yeah. sounds great on it? Yeah. And any... Yeah. Any electric, if it's a P, if it's a, you know, an active bass, the fretless, they all sound fantastic. Yeah. I was on a gig in Seattle uh, a couple days ago, and like they had a rental upright for me, and I, I plug it in and run it through my Trickfish Pre that I always bring. Yeah. And the drummer's like, man, that's a good sounding bass. I'm like, ha, it's a good sounding preamp. Like, there you, go. <laughs> you know, it was, the yeah. bass is whatever. Like, Trickfish is the best. Yeah, they are. They yeah. are. I love those guys. Same, same. Um, do you run compression live? Do you no, run, no, no. Most of the time I don't, unless it's, uh, um, a certain type of music or a style of, of a song mm-hmm. that requires to cut through. If we have, if there's a lot of music involved, right. And I wanted to cut through, you know, or, uh, if I want to do a more type of, uh, distortion-esque solo without being too wide sounding so it cuts through okay uh, everything else that's happening musically it all really for me it all depends on the instrumentation how many musicians we have on stage what's the sound like sure you know if i need to cut through i might use a little bit of compression if uh, most of the time i don't to be honest okay yeah okay so it sounds like you're always kind of wearing the producer hat because I mean, those are all those are all producer decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think of the big picture as who, who's playing, what's the sound like, you know, where where do I fit in this, you know? Yeah, uh, you know, because sometimes we play with orchestra. Okay, you know, and when there's a big, beautiful orchestra, you know, uh, there's tone sounds that work best. So that you're not like rocking out and, and drowning the orchestra, you know? Right. Because I like to hear everything too. That again, going back to the producer sound, I, I want to hear the full mix. Sure. <laughs> not sure. just me, right? Yeah, those are, I mean, I feel like very, those are 
very much bass player decisions, and that's a bass player brain to okay, what what's everything that's going on here, and where's my place in it to support it all? Right. Is it um, at what point in your career did you get the kind of transition more into taking on a producer role? Uh, after working, I would say twenty years in the business. Okay. I wa- I watched some of my um, favorite cats, you know, producers uh, that I I was fortunate enough to work with and uh, see how they would work with the musicians and bring out the best in them in each each yeah. musician and how the, the interpretation of the song would come to life. Mm. And those things were very inspirational for me, and that's what I look forward to doing. You know, when when I go into that role. Yeah, uh, is how to how to bring the best out of uh, the person that's participating in the project and uh, bringing in, having their interpretation bring it to life. You know? Yeah, so it's kind of a focus. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's a focus on the social aspect of the music is incredibly important to you. Yes, because working with these people and making sure it's a personal connection to to fulfill a musical vision. Right. Yeah. Right. But you know, like I said, a lot of the musicians that I uh, that were, that participate on the record, uh, I know them either directly. We've had a long term relationship, or I know of them and I know their work. So, right. uh, so you know, and basically, it is just me giving them guidance to bring it to life. You know. Yeah, uh, that's killing, man. Life, legacy, and music. Part one is out. That's on all the the streaming platforms. It's on all the streaming platforms. It's on. Uh, if you want to download, you can go to iTunes Store. Mm-hmm. If you know, and and here I'm gonna geek out here. Forty four one forty four one sixteen on iTunes for download. But if you want a ninety six k twenty four, which it really sounds much better for me personally, you can go to uh, John Pena Music. It's Pena and not Pena. <laughs> Unfortunately, because they didn't, they can't get the squiggly thing on the end. Okay. So it's johnkindofmusic.bandcamp.com, or you can just go to bandcamp.com and search me. And uh, they have it in 96K, which uh, sounds so much better. Okay. Okay. You can down, download it from 96 all the way to MP3, depending on you know what devices you're using to listen to. So they give cool. you all the options. Sweet. And then where where can where can we go to get some updates about part two? Is that going to be on a, it's, a personal yeah, website? It's, Are you gonna? Yeah, yeah, it'll be on my Facebook page. I have two Facebook pages. One is a personal page, John Pena. Mm-hmm. The other one is a, a J, uh, JP uh, band page uh, or John Pena band page. Either one, you'll get it on Facebook. It's my band page, and then uh, I have an Instagram, JP Slam. Uh, on Instagram and you'll get all the information there. Everything will be up. Killer. Killer. Man, you got to come back on and talk about part two when it's out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's keep, let's keep everybody engaged with this. Yeah. 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 Love to. All right. All right. All right. That was my talk with John Pena. Be sure to check out part one of his project, Music, Legacy, and Music. Right, Three parts. I'm still blown away by that. Check out part one. And definitely stay tuned for the following two installments of the project. Uh, I'm really excited to hear those 
and and to have John back on to talk about them and kind of give us all uh, an in-depth, you know, kind of behind the scenes about uh, about the music and how the sessions went and and all of that. It's a, it's a really exciting and inspiring uh, project that he's doing there. If you are digging the Bay Shed podcast, please hit subscribe wherever you are listening to it or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's about all I got for this one, folks. That's all I got for this one. I will, uh, I'll catch you on the next one in a minute.